You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Listeners, listeners, this week, tune your ears in because we're with a heavyweight. We're with Professor Raquel Rolnick from the University of Sao Paulo, where she's the Professor of Architecture and Urbanism. And in recent years, Professor Rolnick has been the UN Special Rapporteur into Housing. And uh, Raquel, you were in that position during the global financial crisis. How busy was your phone line? Oh, yes. So, good afternoon, everybody. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, Yes, I had the chance, but of course, for those affected, it was not a chance, it was a problem, to be the UN Rapporteur on on the Right to Adequate Housing during the financial crisis, because my mandate started in 2008 and longed up until 2014, six years. And in uh, the UN Human Rights Council, the place where I I was tied to as rapporteur, the question of the right to housing used to be much more related to informal settlements in the global south, in Latin America, in Asia, in Africa. And all of a sudden, we had a housing crisis in the global north, and especially in the U.S., where I would say, of course, there were uh, necessities and lack of housing for many, many years, but it was not a big issue. Housing was not a big issue before. And then it became. So I started to realize that something was going on in the world because beginning in the U.S., but then in many other countries, Spain, Ireland, and then when I arrived in Kazakhstan, I also see the same scenario of years of promoting housing, a very one and single model for housing, which is the acquisition of private property, individual freehold, using credit, financial credit, as the one and only solution for all. And this model was spread over the world as the model. And then the result is, and it still is, because it's still on, still going on, a housing crisis in countries that... Uh, didn't knew housing, didn't know housing crisis for for many many years, like the U.S., like the U.K., uh, or even the or even Kazakhstan. So, what went wrong? Um, and basically, the idea, and this is what this is what I basically uh, presented in several reports, and then now. In my book, uh, which is uh, War of Places, uh, housing was transformed from a social good into a commodity, and more than that, 
a financial asset, exposing families and communities to the very speculative nature of finance. Now, being from Brazil, uh, there's a certain economist there uh, named Hernando de Soto, which talked a lot about the benefits of being able to turn informal land holdings into uh, privatised land titles so you could actually borrow against it and it would be good for society. So how is Hernando uh, witnessing uh, 10 years of economic demise based on this model? Yeah, Hernando de Soto, a Peruvian who, not Brazilian, but still Latin American, <laughs> that um, wrote this very famous, became very famous, a celebrity in the global north with his book, The Mystery of Capital. And what is the mystery of capital? Is transforming land into a financial asset. Because if you use land as a collateral, you can raise money to improve your life, to, to start a business, to be an entrepreneur. So just perfect. All these poor guys sitting in a dead place, that's what he calls the informal settlements, because those places cannot circulate as an asset in the market. They can immediately transform them into wealth by titularization, by regularizing property, which was clearly proved completely wrong. And why? Because first of all, the main question related to informal settlements, astonishing, is not the title, is the conditions, the living conditions means access to infrastructure, access to adequate uh, transport, schools, equipment, streets. None of those can be achieved through individual titles. None of those. And more than that, uh, the blockage that poor people have uh, from, from the economic and financial system is only very partially overcome by having a title because um, and if you see during the financial the housing the mortgage uh, crisis this is exactly like that poor people are high risk for banks and for lenders because the more vulnerable you are the more you pay in terms of interest in order to protect the interest of the banks so who pays the largest, um, absolutely outrageous interest rates, the most vulnerable, the poorest among the poor. So financial system is highly discriminatory and it's very, very unlikely that is, this should be the main mechanisms in order to include poor people in the economy. Yes, it was just a masterstroke of it was an insight of just how deft the powers that be are in sideswiping the real issues in in blaming the global financial crisis on this risky lending to poor people rather than looking at all of these tax incentives to buy and sell real estate and make so much money and that's what 
built up the prices and, and escalated them so high that nobody could afford them in the end. And then it blew up in everyone's faces and the banks got some of the blame. But for me, sitting here in this chair, the land speculators got off scot-free. Definitely. And not, not only that, tax incentives means what? Means that all the real estate speculation using these tax incentives were made out of public money, our money. So the main lie that was sold to everybody when imposing and spreading the model of individual freehold to credit as the only, one and only model to access housing for everybody, destroying literally all the existing systems, the systems that were in place in order to provide housing to the more to the poor, to the vulnerable, like uh, public housing and other schemes in countries that used to, to, to have there, including Australia, some countries in a broader scale like UK or the Netherlands or some countries in a less, uh, less broad scale. But the main lie is that states should go out of the business of housing and not spend public money on that because the market can provide privately these new products and the market can solve uh, access to housing to everybody. But the truth is public money was subsidizing real estate speculation through tax incentives. So it's not that public money was not spent anymore. It's that public money was spent subsidizing the rich instead of the poor. This is the truth about what happened in the last years. Mm. And more than that, what I call the financialization of the build space. So titularization, the fact that you can have revenues from a particular building in a particular place without necessarily being the owner of the whole place, of the whole office, uh, using financial instruments like real estate investment funds, rates, like other financial instruments made possible for the global capital, the surplus of global capital, including pension funds, including insurance company, including sovereign funds of countries, being able to invest in real estate everywhere. What meant that? That we are in our cities, we citizens, we are competing for location, for land, with the Arab sheikhs, with the Russian plutocrats, with huge pension funds, and guess who's going to win and who's going to lose? Of course, we won't be able to live in our cities anymore. Listeners, we're with Professor Raquel Ronick. She's uh, from the University of Sao Paulo uh, speaking at the Whose Land Conference, which is running this week in Melbourne. And she's also the former special rapporteur for the right to housing. And uh, this term financialization, um, it, it seems to have really taken a hold, the financialization of housing. But 
I, I question whether that goes deep enough. For me, I, like, I prefer the commodification of housing because uh, blaming banks for everything is, is too easy. It's more of a systemic issue than just the banking system. Um, I think commodification is the basics. Um, transforming housing into commodity is the, the, the real thing, the crude thing, the initial thing. But also there is a one step further, which is transforming this con commodity into an asset that can circulate in the financial capital. So I think this is very important on these days, not only the fact that you can buy and sell housing like any other product, but also the fact that this can be an important part, and it has been more and more built space in general, housing in particular, but the built space in general has been more and more a new outlet for the hunger of collateral, of financial capital. So the taking over of finance, of the built space of our cities, I think it's the phenomenon of the last 15 years and that helped us to explain what happened with our cities that were taken over by the logic of producing something which does not correspond to our needs, correspond to the needs of revenue-seeking of investors, but not generally of our needs, the needs of the citizens. Well, that, that's certainly the case. Uh, and yeah, so the commodification, though, for me, what I like to think about, and I always have this de debate with Professor Michael Hudson, who talks about the fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate. Yeah. And I say, look, if we had a taxation system that, that recognised land uh, to begin with, the leveraging, the financialization wouldn't be possible. So that for me is my challenge, is trying to uh, segue that into this growing concern about financialization is hang on, we actually could be proactive. We could use the public finance system to actually protect communities, to, to use infrastructure to build long-term gains for the community rather than it just being uh, picked up and, ex and taken off to the Cayman Islands by developers who donate, who get the rezoning windfalls and are in and out. Yes, the fact that, that uh, those fluxes of financial capital are more and more uh, less uh, territorialized in terms of less and less connected with nations and states by tax. The fact that more and more they are circulate, circulating in uh, tax havens um, outside the jurisdiction of countries, so not participating at all in any schemes of wealth distribution. This is, a, it, this is a big concern. But also you are absolutely right that land and property of land is crucial for these schemes to be possible, to fire to be possible, because what is circulating is the expectation of appreciation 
of the value of land. And if this is not possible, because land cannot circulate, then it will be impossible to speculate with it. So you were right in terms, and I have a very good example of community land trusts. Uh, community land trusts, there are very few of them that exist in the States and also in the UK. They were among the less affected types of property during the financial crisis, exactly because they were taken over from the overall circulation and titularization of land. It was amazing to see uh, Louise Crabtree, who's speaking at this conference, present those findings that uh, I think it was something like a 94% lower foreclosure rate in community land trusts during the global financial crisis in America. So uh, that's what we're talking about, uh, taxing away these expected future capital gains and sharing them with the community so that... Uh, it stays within that community that creates this goodwill and we're allowing these pariahs to come in and there was an incredible article that you tweeted overnight that uh, I also tweeted on at Earthsharing and it was talking about the largest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind is going on through the housing market right now. Yeah, and, and what is scary is that how much this is global how much this is not only in the US or only in Europe, only in the developed world, but it's everywhere in all parts of the globe. And very silent, out of the rudder of, of public policies, in, uh, encapsulated in private contracts in a very complex and sophisticated manner, in this way, citizens cannot participate in the discussion of that anymore. So we are talking about not only a new way of organizing money and space and the relation between money and space, but also a, we are talking about a state reform that are taking out from the hands of the citizens large portions of the land that belongs to them in terms of a collective artifact. Yes, and people, they've forgotten how to put their remote controls down and actually engage in the community themselves. Uh, and then this next step of understanding how the public finance system works and how they're not just a cog in the wheel, they're a crucial component of this living embodiment of life on earth. And uh, until people can recognise they have that capacity to ask these difficult questions that politicians cannot ignore when you frame them in uh, a manner that all good renegade economists can. So uh, what sort of public sector fight back are the NGO industries are mounting. There seems to be more and more uh, discussion about these issues. Uh, uh, where are you seeing some of the most positive developments for the, the people fighting back against this international property delete? I think this is more in the real appropriation of lands and buildings, squatting, occupation 
occupy movements that we can see everywhere rather than a policy at the level of policy discussions at the level of so you've uh, given advocacy. up on democracy is dead how oh, completely because the state was taken over by capital absolutely and most of the ref in order to be able for financial capital to do what is doing now uh, states were completely responsible for introducing reforms in order to attract incentivize and all that so states are merged with financial capital and submitted uh, to it so what we are seeing is much more resistance on the people trying to keep their places uh, so struggles against gentrification struggles again against mega projects that we can see everywhere they are signs that people are recognizing that we don't need these artifacts we don't need this type of built space and we want another city city for all listeners tomorrow night at 6 p.m raquel rolnick is launching her new book it's called the war on places I'm going to get the subtitle wrong because it's long. So, Raquel, can you talk about this decolonization aspect? What's the subtitle yes. and its meaning? The colonization of housing and land by finance. So I'm talking about a new colonial power which is taking over our land and territories, which is finance, basically. And as a global phenomenon, so in the in the book I examine how housing policies were transformed in order to open up a new frontier for financial capital to take over the housing sector. In the first part of the book and the second part of the book, I relate to the question of land and how much that transformed uh, land in different cities and different countries and unlock the value of land was the mantra for this new type of urban policy. The third part of the book is dedicated to Brazil, my own country, and trying to show how all that was implemented there. Is it uh, the same thing we see here in uh, Brazil being one of the big um, minerals exporters on the planet like Australia? We've seen this situation where um, uh, lobbying goes on, uh, exploration licenses are granted, uh, mining licenses are granted, and right then or before then, the big developers have bought up the land around these big new mines and bang goes the land boom in some remote area in the middle of nowhere. One of the most craziest things happened in Australia. We had the Hilton Hotel. St look, they, they announced they were going to build out in the middle of nowhere. This is like 2,000 kilometres away from major cities. And this was all for these fly-in, fly-out uh, mining executives to live in. Now, of course, the mining bubble uh, blew up uh, over the last couple of years and there's been a whole pile of uh, bankruptcies go through that region. But was it a similar sort of formula occurring in Brazil? In a way, yes. But I think also there is... Uh one extra aspect related to mining, which is um, the surplus capital that comes from the mining industry is one 
what of the capitals that are engaged now in urban development um, as a whole in Brazil, especially in one of the states where mining is very significant, uh, which is Minas Gerais. So I think that, um, of course, there is a relationship between the one, one and the other, and of course, we have to pay attention to that. So what is the takeaway message from your book, The War on Places? Well, first of all, we must understand what is going on. Why I'm saying that? Because um, it's not clear in the media, in the mainstream media, it's not clear in the discourse of our political leaders of what is the real thing, what is going on. And it's, it's also uh, the idea that we have, which, which is the neoliberal thinking, one and only way of organizing space, organizing land, organizing housing, which is absolutely not true, and which is also um, promising and had promised 20 years ago that that would provide adequate housing for all, and it was a lie, and it was proved a lie, and the financial and mortgage crisis was a very clear sign of it, but still, it is an hegemonic thinking. It is a hegemonic thinking, but it's dead, in terms of it has no capacity of delivering what it has promised. So... It's very interesting the moment that we are living in because new, po new possibilities are now being imagined. So how can we imagine cities that are freed from decolonization? How can we retake our land and retake our collective and common goods? This is an ongoing discussion um, which is pretty much structured um, under the idea of the right to the city. So I think uh, it's a new moment, it's a promising moment, it will take some time uh, to a new paradigm uh, to be in place, but I truly believe that this is possible. Well, Professor Ronick, thank you so much for joining us here on 3CR's Renegade Economist. I feel like I've been talking to a kindred spirit. Don't you think, Renegades, we've discussed these issues for the last 10 years. Great to see them being brought out in a book format. UN uh, levels are talking about it. What, just finally, what policy um, levels, levers can the UN push? What sort of policy discussions are happening at that higher level to address these issues? Because as far as I can see, the main tool for the elite, um, the manipulation of interest rates is now dead. They cannot use it anymore because if they increase interest rates to try and quell demand, it's going to destroy housing demand and with that, the global economy again. They've got no tools left. They've got no tricks left. Yeah, you were right. And I don't really believe that the UN level can really intervene on this. This is much more... I would say um, a voice to be heard than really a instrument in order to intervene in uh, in the situation. Uh, but I remember that when I was a rapporteur um, to raise this issue in the Human Rights Council was quite interesting because nobody was thinking 
that this type of, of ways of organizing space are provoking violations of human rights, and it is. So I think this way of thinking and taking uh, housing as a human right is a very good starting point in order um, um, to up the profile of this type of discussion. Well, Professor Ronick, thanks so much. And listeners, please get on your bikes and get to this book launch tomorrow. As you can hear, she's a passionate presenter. It's going to be very interesting to see. Thanks so much. Thank you. Nothing.